as I was uh, thinking about this message this week, uh, Emily and I, as we were kind of getting ready for this fall, we were kind of putting some dates down, getting some appointments in, you know, that we've been behind on. And this Monday was my dentist appointment. And I, I think I had missed my, my last dentist appointment sometime when uh, COVID started. And so I was definitely a little overdue. And uh, anybody like going to the dentist? Anybody particularly enjoy a few, a few of you? Um, <clears throat> that's special uh, for, for many uh, other people. Uh, there's deep shame uh, that comes as you go to the dentist. And I really like my dentist. Uh, she's very kind. Uh, all of the, the dental hygienists that I've uh, interacted with have been great. And whether it's, whether it's the, the feeling of, I know that this is going to hurt my wallet when I go, uh, or I'm afraid of what they're going to tell me. I don't know why I have this deep shame, but I think the, the real uh, kind of point of shame for me is, you know, the small talk takes place and you sit down and before they really dig in to do the cleaning, uh, they say, so how frequently do you floss? All right. Now, I know either I've already told them I'm a pastor or I will have to talk about that at some point. So I know that I can't lie. Like in that moment, I have to uh, fully tell the truth. Um, and, and you know, they're, they're always kind. They're like once a day, once a week. You're like, keep going, keep going. Um, you know, I think I ran out of floss, you know, and they're like, oh, we'll give you some. And, um, and so there's this uh, this kind of dread that comes upon me and this sense of shame that I know I'm going to be found out when I go to the dentist for my bad hygiene habits. I brush my teeth. I just, I, I, forgive me for being honest, I'm not the best flosser, all right? So I've, I've learned to embrace that this week and, um, uh, and, and I've got a renewed sense of uh, enthusiasm about flossing since I got new floss from my dentist. But uh, as I was thinking about shame and guilt and thinking about the ways in which we experience it in life, um, I think we also experience this in relation to God, and we experience this in relation just to uh, living in this world, a, a fallen world that's both tragic and wonderful at the same time. Um, and, and I was reminded of a quote from C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but an um, a author who's had significant uh, influence in many people who have been skeptical and thinking about Christianity, coming to terms with the, the Christian faith. In his book, Mere Christianity, he, he kind of describes... God as a dentist, which uh, was troubling to me the first time that I read it uh, in light of my experience with a dentist. But he talks about when he was a kid, if he had a toothache, uh, on one hand, he wanted to tell his mom about it, but on the other hand, he didn't. He wanted to tell her because he knew he could get something to numb the pain. He could get some, uh, some Advil or uh, something to take away the pain, but he didn't want to tell her because he knew the next day she would take him to the dentist. And he says, uh, I knew when you go to the dentist, those dentists, they start fiddling with all sorts of other teeth uh, and even those that haven't begun to ache. Uh, and he says, they would not let sleeping dogs lie. If you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Um, and he says, if I may, I put it this way. He says, our Lord is like the dentist. If you give him an inch, he will take a mile. Dozens of people go to him to be cured of one particular sin of which they are ashamed of or which obviously is spoiling their daily life like a bad temper or drunkenness. Well, he will cure it all right, but he will not stop there, Lewis says. He says that that may be all that you asked, but if you call upon him, he will give you the full treatment. I think sometimes as we process our guilt and our shame, uh, we can struggle wanting to go to God 
struggle knowing if we can go to God and then what we would say if we come to him. But we also have other uh, experiences of shame, just the, the low-grade sense of that we're not good enough or that we don't belong or that maybe we're a mistake. We wouldn't say it out loud, but we have this gnawing sense that we're a failure. Uh, there's, a, there's been a research group, LifeWay Research. They did a, a survey of about 1,000 Americans uh, discussing the feelings of shame and guilt and some other feelings. And they asked, of all the feelings, which do you try to avoid the most? And 38% said they try to avoid shame the most. 31% say they tried to avoid guilt the most. Those are the two answers. Shame and guilt is what we want to avoid. Well, today I don't want to avoid it. I want us to engage it. I want us to to understand guilt and shame, and then I want us to look at what God's Word has to say about guilt and shame. So what we've been doing is we've been talking about emotions. We've tried to define them, and then we try to look at God's Word and say, how do we engage those emotions? So uh, what is guilt? We'll start there, and then we'll, we'll go unpack shame. I think on one hand, guilt is the easier uh, to understand. Guilt is that feeling... Uh, emotion, spiritual gift that allows us uh, to to feel and accept that we've done something wrong. Guilt says that uh, we've done something wrong. It's been said this way, that guilt lives in the courtroom of you standing before God and being guilty. Uh, To feel guilt, though, uh, one of the things we've tried to do as we talk about emotions is not just understand the negative implications of an emotion, but also the gift of emotions. Remember, we've said that emotions are a gift that God has given us to navigate life and live life fully. So you can't live life fully if you, uh, if you dismiss your emotions. You won't live life fully as God intends if you just live by your emotions. Instead, you must see your emotions as a gift and as a tool that God is helping you to navigate life. And one of the things that guilt allows us to do uh, is it allows us to know that our heart isn't hardened. Guilt allows us to know that our consciences aren't seared. In fact, feeling guilty, feeling guilt is necessary for all healthy relationships. You can't have a healthy relationship with other people or with God without having guilt, without knowing when you've done something wrong so that you can seek to make it right. And in fact, I would say that the strongest relationships you have are the relationships in which you've dealt with guilt the best. It's when you've done something wrong and then you've sought to rectify it through forgiveness that a relationship is strengthened. It's amazing how that works. We, we think that, that the best relationships are, are absent of, of any wrongdoing or sinning against one another. But in fact, because we live in a fallen world and we ourselves are sinful, any relationship we have will be marked by sin. But to the degree which we deal with our guilt in our relationships, can we have healthy relationships? And Christians aren't people who don't sin, but Christians are people who, when they know they're guilty of sin, they do something about their sin. And the thing that we do about our sin isn't try harder, isn't try to clean ourselves up, but we run to God. We repent, we turn from sin, and we turn to Him. So guilt is that emotion or feeling that tells us we've done something wrong. It lives in the courtroom as we stand before God. Shame is a little different. Shame is attached to guilt. Shame is a feeling that can be added on to guilt. When we know we've done something wrong, we can have shame about what we've done. Um, but if, if guilt lives in the courtroom, shame lives in the community. 
in terms of us before others. It's how we see ourselves before others or how we think others perceive us. But shame also has a, um, uh, there's a healthy side of shame. And then uh, there's a side that I think we, we often think about um, that we experience that we'll address. The, the healthy shame uh, is, is the feeling that we're limited. And, and really, shame is the, is the emotion that tells us that we don't have all the answers, that, that we're limited, that we need others. In, in a way, shame is closely connected. A healthy shame is closely connected with humility. I, I remember as a, uh, as a, a 10th grader, uh, my best friend, who basically is like my brother, uh, played soccer. I had never... Uh, played uh, on any team sport in high school. I played basketball when I was in junior high school. Um, but when I got to high school, I became good friends um, with a bunch of soccer players. And so uh, it's natural if you're friends with soccer players that you play soccer and that uh, you want to be with them and hang out with them. So you try out for soccer, right? Um, there were a number of things that kept me from playing on the soccer team. The first of which was you had to run a mile and a half in nine and a half minutes. Um, I can drive a mile and a half in about nine and a half minutes, um, but still probably can't run a mile and a half in about nine, nine and a half minutes. Um, and, uh, and, and I just wasn't really any good at soccer. It, and to be honest with you, it's still, I now appreciate it, but then it frustrated me that they kicked the ball backwards. I'm like, why are you kicking it to your goalie? You know, uh, there are all kinds of problems that I had with soccer, but I felt compelled to try out, but very quickly, there was a shame that set upon me that said, I can't do this. I'm limited. Now, perhaps I could have said, I need help, so train me so I can grow. That's a healthy shame. But there's also something healthy when that moment where you say, I, I can't do this. I need to stop before I make a worse fool of myself, you know. Um, and so sometimes when we feel that, like there's, there's a healthy uh, since that's a healthy sense of shame, a humility that grows out of a recognition of our limitations as well as a recognition of our giftedness. Here's humility. This is from author Chip Dodd. He says, helps us to realize how incredibly fortunate we are to be who we are. And at the same time, it shows us how deficient we are with others and God and leads us to reach out for those in our lives to help us so we can live fully. That's what, like, that's what we need in life. We need that kind of humility that helps us to recognize the gift of who we are as well as our limited, uh, limitedness, uh, our, our inabilities to, to do everything, our inability to have all the answers. Like if we had this as we navigated life and difficult conversations and difficult circumstances, we would be in a much healthier position. But the problem is we don't often live with this healthy shame that, that it recognizes our limits, that embraces our gifts, that reaches out for help, that needs others, that lives in dependence on God and others. Instead, we have a, a toxic shame. And Chip Dodd says, healthy shame says I am limited, which leads us to ask for help. Toxic shame changes I am limited to I am a mistake. Toxic shame says I am a, a mistake that then poisons our hearts and forces us to remove ourselves from others and go it alone. Another author and counselor says, shame is the deep sense that we are inherently flawed, unacceptable, unworthy of love because of something we've done, something done to us, 
or of some association that we have. In a real sense, shame is about identity. It's about the feeling of worth and value. And toxic shame is that which we say to ourselves that says, I'm a mistake. I'm unacceptable. I'm unworthy. Now, what I'm going to say today, I pray is an encouragement to all of us, but I know I'm not going to be able to say everything that needs to be said. And, and there is a shame that comes from when somebody has done something to us, when we've experienced some kind of trauma or abuse that, that needs to be further pressed into. And I want you to know that while I may not be able to say everything, uh, I want you to know that this is a safe place where you can reach out and get help. If we can help you, we will. If we need to connect you with others where you can get help, we will. And as we talk about shame, especially the shame that we feel either because we know we've done something wrong or the shame that we feel because we believe the lie that we're a mistake or that we're unworthy or that we're unlovable, I want us to press in to understanding shame and guilt and knowing how to engage it in a way that would honor God. Psalm 51 is where we're going to be today. So if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 51. The background of Psalm 51 is is King David, who's the author, is confronted by Nathan. Um, You know, as we said earlier, shame tells us that we need to reach out. Um, Guilt tells us that we've done something wrong. Nathan is the friend that we all need who's willing to point at us and say, you're the man, you're the woman, you're the one who's done wrong, you're the one who needs to repent. And that's exactly what Nathan did Um, when David committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, who was married to a man named Uriah. And that's not the worst of the story. It gets worse because Uriah was one of David's closest soldiers who literally risked his life to help King David when he was on the run. Uriah was away at war, at battle, and David was home and commits adultery with Bathsheba. And then in order to cover it up, he calls Uriah home, hoping that he will go and spend time with his wife. But Uriah, being a man of integrity and honor, says, how could I sleep in my bed when my men, my soldiers, are sleeping on the ground in the middle of a war? So he sleeps on the steps and doesn't even go home. And when David finds this out, he he tries to get him to go home. He even gives him a lot to drink so that maybe he'll stumble home. But Uriah doesn't do it. And so King David sends a note with Uriah to give to the commander of the army, a guy named Joab. Basically, David sends Uriah back into battle with his own death sentence in a letter. Uriah takes his own death sentence to Joab, which says, hey, when when you go into battle, put Uriah up front and then draw back so that Uriah will be killed. And that's exactly what happens. And David feels pretty good about his sin. Uh, At least he isn't bothered by it until Nathan comes and confronts him with his sin. And what we see in Psalm 51 is David's confession of his sin, his plea for forgiveness. It's a model for us for how to respond to our guilt before God and the shame that's associated with our sin. And as we look at Psalm 51, I want us us to know three things that will help us to engage our guilt and our shame. And the first thing is, I want us to know the heart of God. Look at Psalm 51, verses 1 through 3. David says, Have mercy on me, God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See here, here is Psalm 51, which is perhaps the, the best example of a, uh, of a confession of sin, of a plea for God's forgiveness. But do you notice how it starts? It doesn't start with guilt. It doesn't start with shame. It starts with God's mercy and a steadfast love. The, the greatest confession, example of a confession of sin in the whole Bible doesn't start with sin, but it starts with God's mercy and God's steadfast love. And I think the reason that's important is because unless we know the heart of God, we won't be willing to bring our sin before him. We won't be willing to face our guilt and face our shame. But when I talk about the heart of God and God's love for us, I think there are two errors that we, we make in response to God's love. I don't know if you've grown up in church or if you've been uh, exposed to Christianity long, but there's a danger that can come when we are so familiar with something that we take advantage of God's love and we think that it gives us an excuse to keep on sinning. Oh, God, will love, God loves me. He'll forgive me. I can do, I can do this. So we, we take advantage of God's love and keep sinning. In, in a way, what we're doing is trying to numb ourselves to our guilt and our shame. If I just keep going, it'll, get, it'll feel worse less and less. But there's also a real struggle for some to be confident of God's love. Some take advantage of God's love. Some are unsure of God's love. And then because of that, we feel trapped by our guilt and our shame. But, but as David knows the heart of God, as he comes to God on the basis of his mercy, that God doesn't give us all that we deserve of his steadfast love, his loyal love. This is, this is the language of personal relationship, that God has committed himself to those who put their trust in him. It's a steadfast love. And, and because of this, David says, look at his plea. Wash me, cleanse me, is his plea. This is, this is the language of, uh, of ceremonial cleanliness. And, and to be clean before a holy God is, is really uh, talking about relationship. How can I enjoy God's presence? That's the, the problem David is confronted with. I know my sin and God, how can I come into your presence? And my only confidence, my only hope is God's love, is God's mercy. And so it's his hope and confidence in knowing the heart of God that allows David to, to approach God, to seek forgiveness for the guilt of his sin, for God to cover his shame. In fact, if I could say it this way, it's the assurance of God's love that helps us to hate our sin without hating ourselves. We've, we've lost almost the ability to say that you can hate the sin and love the sinner. But that's what every parent has been doing. That's what your parents have been doing ever since you were a little kid. Hating your sin and loving you as a little and a big sinner. And that's what God has been doing with us. Hating our sin, but extending his love to us. A love that we don't deserve. A love that we couldn't earn. And it's that assurance that helps us to look at our lives and see that which is offensive to God, to see that which we are guilty of before God and say, that's wrong. And yet I'm not a mistake. That's sin. And I hate sin. That doesn't mean I hate myself. 
That's the assurance of God's love. But I want to step back as we talk about shame. I think shame affects us not only in relation to sin, but I think we, we experience shame as we navigate life. How many of you have gotten a text message that you didn't reply to in a timely manner and then the shame has set upon you uh, that keeps you from texting back even once you think about it, right? Um, I won't ask for hands, but I see those smiles. Um, How how many of us have have had some kind of limitation that we've been unwilling to just say, you know what, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And so instead we remove ourselves from people, we avoid people. I mean, I, I've, I've had moments in my life where I've literally changed the natural course of where I'm going as to avoid some people because I'm ashamed of having not responded to or dealt with something they've asked me about. We live, we live with this shame that uh, kind of permeates our life over a no- multitude of different things. Statistics would say the more education you have, the higher you go up in and uh, academics, often the more shame you experience because it's all about how you're viewed before others. So you have this gnawing sense that you don't, you don't measure up. You'll be found out, the fear of being found out, right? I'm not all that I appear to be. I'm not all that my parents want me to be. I'm not all that my professor thinks I could be. And so we live with this shame that's not attached to sin. It's just attached to our limitations in life. And, and what we do uh, apart from God is we say, okay, we build ourselves up and we tell ourselves that we have to try harder and do better and do more. Or we say, you know what, just accept the mess. I'm a mess and that's okay. And on one hand, that's, you know, there's some truth in that. We all are a mess and we can be honest about that. But if you know the heart of God, if you know God's love for us, not on the basis of anything we've done for him, but on, the, uh, on his mercy and his steadfast love, what it allows you to do in life, shame unattached to sin, just the, the undergirding sense of shame that we experience in life. If you know the heart of God, it allows you to accept your limitations. You can say, you know what? I don't think I can do that. And that doesn't mean I'm a total failure in life. It allows you to get help, to reach out for help when you need it. And shame, we think to ourselves, I got to go it alone. If they find out, they won't like me. If they find out, they won't approve of me. They won't accept me. And in that sense, understanding the heart of God gives you a secure basis in order to pursue change in your life. If, if you are pursuing change so that you can overcome shame in your own strength, you'll, you'll find yourself more and more struggling with shame and, and, and even other dynamics. But if you have the foundation of God's love, then you're, you're, you're freed up to seek change in your life in the areas that you need to change. You're freed up to figure out how to respond to those text messages better, to, uh, to say, hey, I'm sorry I haven't gotten to you, but what can I do for you? You're, you're free to accept the limitation that maybe that degree isn't what you should pursue and that this course is what you need to take. That you're, you're free uh, to, to not live uh, with the approval, the fear of disapproval of somebody in your life because you have the ultimate approval. You know the heart of God, the one who matters most. And then it, it ultimately allows you to use your gifts with humi- humility, not needing to prove yourself, not needing to platform yourself so somebody will notice you, but the freedom to accept your limitations and use your gifts to serve God and to love others. Man, when I think about that, like I just think of how much time in my life I waste struggling with how I'm perceived by others, 
wrestling with this gnawing sense of shame, when if I would embrace, fall into the embrace of God's love and His mercy, what confidence we could live with, but also what confidence we could know about our sin, because not only do we need to know the heart of God, we need to know the seriousness of our sin. If we're going to engage our guilt and our shame, we have to know the seriousness of our sin. Look at what David says. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Really in these two, three, three verses, David shows us our responsibility for sin. My sin, my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. David shows us the offensiveness of sin, that it's against God. Now, David sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah. David sinned against the the community of Israel. Our sin is never uh, about us on an island. Our sin is, is, yes, personal and individual, but it expresses itself in all kinds of corporate ways, in our relationships, and even in a country, in a nation. We see it here in David's life and in, in Israel. We, we see it and know it in our own life, in our own nation. How sin can be personal and corporate at the same time. And David knows the offensiveness of his sin. He doesn't deny that he's a sin against anyone else, but he goes straight to the heart of the matter and he says, I've sinned against God. And the offensiveness of our sin must first and foremost be seen in light of God as holy and righteous. You see, sometimes the way we deal with our guilt and our shame is too shallow. We, we think that we can just kind of deal with it in a self-medicating way. That if maybe we feel better about ourselves, that the guilt and the shame will go away. But if you don't dig out, if you don't dig out the disease, it'll just keep coming back. It's in confession and understanding the offensiveness of our sin that we're able to get the full scope of our sin and, and have forgiveness. In verse 4, we see the consequences of our sin, that we would <clears throat> stand in judgment before God. David, David says, I want, I'm confessing my sin, God, and asking for your forgiveness so that I may be justified, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God is ultimately the judge. We may escape judgment from others. We may feel as if we've escaped the judgment of God. But all of us will face the judgment of God in this life or ultimately in the life to come. We have to see the offensiveness and the consequences of sin, but also the depth of sin. David, David isn't talking in verse 5 about the circumstances of his birth, but really it's a way of saying my whole life has been conditioned by sin from the beginning. My, my whole life is marked by sin. I not only do sinful things, but I am a sinner, David says. the seriousness of sin. When you, when you see David uh, confessing his sin before God, you get a sense that David isn't playing games with sin. David, David isn't just pretending that it'll go away. David isn't just thinking that it's a bad feeling that'll last for the day and then if you entertain yourself with something else or you move on to something else, that it'll go away. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves as we look at David's confession of sin is do we feel the same way about sin? Do you feel the same way about sin? If we don't understand the seriousness of sin, we'll never be able to appropriately be freed from the guilt of sin. 
And as we think about sin <clears throat> and we think about a, a healthy view of our sin, I think we, we can err in, in two ways. When we think about the seriousness of our sin. I, earlier when we talked about God's love, some of us take advantage of God's love or are unsure of God's love. Some of us avoid dealing with the seriousness of sin by excusing our sin. This is as old as Adam and Eve in the garden. When we're confronted with, with our sin, we say, they made me do it. Adam said, she made me do it. <clears throat> All of us have a tendency to shift blame, uh, to move guilt to other people, uh, thinking that <clears throat> it's not our fault, but it's somebody else's fault. But there's also another way in which we, we don't deal with the seriousness of our sin, and it's, it's that we celebrate our sin. We think if, if we don't deal with the seriousness of our sin and instead we get others to do it with us or we fit into a group that accepts some sin, that then the guilt and the shame of the sin will go away if we celebrate it enough. We shift blame and excuse it or we lift it up and celebrate it. And neither deals with the true offensiveness and the true seriousness of sin. And it leaves us in our guilt and it leaves us in shame. To deal with the guilt and shame of sin, we have to understand the seriousness of sin. And David not only knows the seriousness of sin, but he knows what to do in response to it. And I think this is key. If you look at the remainder uh, of, of verses, uh, really six through, through nine, you see David confessing his sin, pleading with God to forgive him. And he does it in a number of different ways. He says, uh, purge me, wash me, let me have joy again. Let me be whole, restore the bones that you have broken. Metaphorically speaking of being broken by sin, be near to me, God, blot out my iniquities. Psalm 32 says, it's another confession psalm. He says, when I didn't confess my sin, my, my, my inner being, my, my bones they were weighed heavy upon me and, and life was sucked away from me. You see, when we don't deal with the guilt of our sin, when we, we don't see um, uh, the seriousness of our sin and, and turn in confession to seek God's forgiveness, it, it hurts us. It weighs on us. And it hurts our other relationships. It hurts those around us, those that we've sinned against. If we know the seriousness of sin and we know the heart of God, then we will run to him when we sin. I used to... I remember being discipled early on as a believer, and uh, one of my pastors said, um, Michael, pray that your, your heart and your life would be as sensitive to sin as a baby's hand is to a candle. And just, even if you just get close, they want to pull it away. I, I want to have that kind of sensitivity to sin. The problem is we're, we're more like my, my son John. When we tell him something is hot, he's more likely to touch it than to avoid it, Right? Uh, we have that tendency when we see uh, sin, we, we almost are drawn to it. But that God would give us a, a sensitiveness to sin, to see the seriousness of sin, so that we would run to him for forgiveness. And forgiveness brings about restoration. All the things that David is asking for is, is about being made right with God, being restored into a right relationship with God. So not only do you have the same view of sin as David, but do you have the same confidence that you can approach God for forgiveness as David? Do you have the same confidence that you could ask him to restore you and make you whole? David knew the heart of God. 
knew the heart of God that, that loved sinners, that made a way for sinners to be made right with God. In the Old Testament, it was through the sacrifices made in the temple. Today, we can know the heart of God even more objectively, even more surely because of Christ, the once and for all sacrifice who died in our place and for our sin, who took the guilt of sin upon himself, who endured the shame of the cross so that if we would put our trust in him, we not only would no longer would bear the guilt of sin, but we no longer would be trapped in the shame of sin. That's what the cross offers us. John Newton is a hymn writer who himself was quite aware of his sin. John Newton worked on a slave ship, became a Christian, but in becoming a Christian, it didn't lead him to stop working on a slave ship, which it should have. But it was later in his life that he began to see the depth and the sinfulness of what he had participated in for so long, of what he had looked away from and accepted. And as he began to understand God's grace, as he began to understand his sin, at the end of his life, he would say, although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. If we know the seriousness of our sin, and we're willing to reach out to God, who's made his heart known most fully and freely to us in Jesus, we don't have to be bound by sin, no matter how deep, no matter how shameful it is, we can experience freedom. And that's how, that's how Psalm 51 ends. It ends with the fruit of forgiveness. If, if you were to unpack all that, that David says in verse 10, starting with, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. He says, cast me not away from your presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Then God, I'll teach others. I'll teach other transgressors your way. Lord, open my lips that I might praise you. God, you don't, you don't just want religious uh, ceremony and duty. You want a humble heart, a broken and contrite heart. And, and God, my sin that's personal has affected all of Israel. God, would you restore Israel, Zion, to your good pleasure that we may offer sacrifices in your sight. David says the fruit of forgiveness is, is that we have a sense of uh, of a, a new heart. We're made new before God, an assurance of God's presence that he's with us. We have joyful worship that our lips are open to praise him, a renewed purpose that God wants to use us to serve others, to teach others humility before God and before others in community. The truest sense, when we deal with guilt and shame, it leads us into community. It leads us to God and it leads us to others. Restored relationships. Look, we don't have to be afraid of dealing with sin. We spend a lot of our lives afraid of really looking at and owning sin. Whether that's individually, whether that's as a nation. In our lives, in our families. We have this feeling, oh, if I really press into sin, then it's going to be, then it's going to be hard. It's going to be ugly. But that's where real community is found. That's where real life is found when we deal with our guilt and our shame. The fruit of forgiveness is a new heart, assurance of God's presence, joyful worship, renewed purpose, humility, community, all of these things God holds out for us. Do you know what the fruit of shame is? The fruit of shame often produces, one author said, hopeless perfectionism. 
we think to get out of our shame, to prove our value and our worth, that we have to be perfect. We have to do everything just right. Another fruit of shame is harsh criticism with ourselves and with others. We're hard on ourselves because of a deep dislike of ourselves or something about ourselves. And then we project it on others when we see it in them. And then there's helpless feelings, a focus on the the worst possible outcomes. It's never going to be fixed. It's never going to be made right. That's the fruit of shame. That's that's the the fruit of, of not embracing the heart of God. That's the fruit of trying to even deal with our sin and our own strength. But what forgiveness holds out to us is freedom. Freedom of restored relationship with God and with others. And to engage guilt rightly, we have to know the heart of God. That gives us the confidence to approach Him. And then the seriousness of sin to dig deep enough. And perhaps that's the challenge for us today is that we need to dig a little deeper. Maybe the sin that we need to address, the guilt of our sin, we need to go a little deeper to see what is offensive to God. Search me and know me, God. See if there's any way that's offensive to you in me. So how do we live free of guilt and shame. We depend on God's love, knowing his heart. We confess our sin. We don't try to cover it up. We don't try to excuse it. We don't celebrate it. We confess it to God. And then we ask for forgiveness. We ask for forgiveness. And then we walk in freedom. The freedom, not of self-esteem, not the, the freedom of self-worth that tells us that it's okay, we're good enough, accept the mess, or I am who I am and deal with it. No, not, not, not that kind of freedom. There is a freedom and empowerment that comes with that. But the freedom that God desires us to walk in is the freedom of forgiveness, which is more powerful than anything that self-esteem or self-worth could offer us because forgiveness tells us that we are accepted, loved, and worthy Not because we feel like it, but because God said so. And because he demonstrated it by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, taking our place, bearing our guilt and and bearing our shame that we might walk in the freedom if we receive him. So as we close our time in worship today, I I just believe if, if the statistics are true, most of us have spent a lot of our life trying to avoid guilt and shame. Most of us go about our day with some level of low-grade shame. And when that shame isn't connected with sin, I want you to embrace the heart of God and live within your limitations and use your gifts freely, not to prove yourself or to earn something, but to serve God and to serve others. We need to be set free from that shame, and God holds it out to us. But then we also need to be able to deal with our guilt of our sin and the shame that follows from sin. So as, as we move uh, into a time of worship, I just I want to lead us in, in a time of prayer, just that, that we, would, we would allow our hearts to be open before God, that we would allow God to work in us in this time. Maybe there's something that you're aware of in your life that you know you're guilty of, that you need to confess to God. Maybe you've been kind of denying the seriousness of it. It's not that big of a deal. It's not hurting anybody else. Nobody else knows. God knows the greatest offense of your sin is against him. So let's let's deal with our sin. Let's, Let's come and bring the shame that we're experiencing because of sin 
because of just living in a fallen world and ask God to help us know the freedom of forgiveness and the freedom of belonging to him. So would you bow your heads with me? Father, in this time as we uh, prepare to worship, God, I pray that you would you would just meet with us now. You would, you would allow us to be honest before you. You would allow us to bring our heart uh, before you and, and a willingness to admit our sin. God, perhaps we've been dismissing the seriousness of sin in our life. Perhaps we've been denying its effect on us. Perhaps we've been denying its effect on others. God, would you help us to, to be honest today, to bring our sin to you? God, I, I pray that if there's anyone here who knows the guilt of their sin, but they've never, they've never really come to a place where they, they know they put their trust in you for salvation, for forgiveness of sins. God, I pray right now, right where they're at, that, that you, would, you would help them say something like this in their hearts. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've sinned against you and I can't fix myself but I trust you. I trust that you died for me. You took my sin on yourself and you're alive. You rose from the dead. And God, I give you my life. Have your way in me. Lord, I pray if anyone has prayed that prayer needs to pray that prayer that you would help them to call out to you today and then let us know so that we can rejoice with them and come alongside them. And Lord, I also pray, I know perhaps there's, there's maybe some shame today because of something done to us. God, you are near the brokenhearted, near the oppressed, near the abused. And I pray that you would comfort and that you would provide the, the safety and the confidence for, for anyone who that's true of to reach out and have help. But I pray you would just free us from from living our lives uh, with the eyes of others before us, that you would help us to embrace who you've made us to be, both in your image and in Christ, accepting our limitations, using our gifts to serve you and to love others, living free of shame that we impose upon ourselves and, and dealing with sin and the shame that follows from it so that we can walk in the freedom of forgiveness. Before we continue in worship, we're just going to take a moment to allow you to pray and reflect before God. And then in a moment, our band will lead you to stand and finish this time in worship. And as we, as we finish this time in worship, as we think about what God has done for us and our need for Him, I pray today that you'd know the freedom of forgiveness, the freedom of belonging to God. But we can't know it unless we come to Him. So take some, take some time just to pray before God, addressing your own heart, any guilt or shame that you see, and bringing it to Him. And then let's respond in worship as people freed from sin, from guilt and shame.